This week, given the time of year, we went looking for predictions for 2023. Maybe not predictions, expectations is a better way of putting it. We wanted to know what some of the people we talked to about issues in this state were expecting for the new year. But we also asked them to take one more look back at 2022 and tell us what they saw. And most of what we heard was that the state was headed somewhere but hadn't gotten there yet. Great Salt Lake, headed for collapse. The LDS Church, changing, not changed. Robert Gerke of the Salt Lake Tribune described 2022 as a transitional year for the economy, for politics and culture. We were, he said, trying to get our legs back under us. Today in Radio West, a last look back and then what to expect in 2023 after this. Being a dependable, trustworthy news source, that's our goal at KUER. In order to meet that goal, we depend on listener contributions. Your support ensures the local and national news heard on KUER remains independent, commercial-free, and accessible for all. If you rely on our programming to stay informed, become our newest sustainer with a gift of just $5 a month. Start your monthly support at KUER.org slash donate. This is Radio West. I'm Doug Fabrizio. Today in the program, we wanted to talk about what we could expect in this new year in Utah. We chose some broad categories. Water was top of mind in the lake. Politics, a little about the economy, about the LDS church. We couldn't cover everything. We learned something about the future of the arts in Utah that we'll come back to in a few weeks. But before we can talk about the new year, you should say something about the old one. Last year was kind of a shocking come-to-Jesus year, if you will, with respect to the lake. They finally realized that we have a really serious problem that presents a significant health threat to all of us. I think we just lived through another Mormon moment. 2022 was a transitional year. Additional scrutiny to the LDS Church. Coming out of COVID. Under the banner of heaven, drawing a lot of attention. Economic uncertainty. Changes in the ecosystem that were a little bit terrifying. A tiny baby step towards coming up with a solution. I've just never been so sad about something that I study, you know. The FLDS movement, other kinds of Mormonism. Questions about the future our culture, our politics, our society. The system is in stress. 2022 was sort of a getting readjusted period. We need to take big steps now. 2023 is going to have a better idea about the direction we're heading 12 months from now. Today in the program, a last look back and then what to expect in 2023. And let's start with water and the lake. We asked Bonnie Baxter to join us again. She's director of the Great Salt Lake Institute. She's really been our point person on the health of the lake. And Dan McCool is back with us again. He's an emeritus professor at the University of Utah. He's an expert on water in the West. And we started each of these conversations the same way. Before we talk about expectations for 2023, what happened in 2022? Bonnie went first. Last year was kind of a shocking come-to-Jesus year, if you will, uh, with respect to the lake. I, I think we saw some changes in the ecosystem 
that were a little bit terrifying and um, really harbingers of a very desolate and scary future for the system. Um, I've just never been so sad about something that I study, you know, so that's, that's been hard. Uh, but I think the watching, keeping an eye on the invertebrates that feed these food chains, the shrimp were doing something really unusual with their reproductive cycles and the flies were really, um, either small or missing, gone. Um, the microbialites that feed the flies were desiccated or dying. And the the algae um, population that feeds the brine shrimp were doing some strange things. So I think we were just seeing all of these indicators that the system is in stress. Dan McCool, what did you, what do you think about the last year, how do you characterize it? Just for, for, I guess, for just for water in Utah. The conditions that Bonnie just described finally got the attention of the state legislature and our congressional delegation. So that's a good thing. They finally realized uh, that we have a really serious problem that presents a, a significant health threat to all of us. And they took a tiny baby step towards coming up with a solution. And they should be applauded for that little baby step, but uh, it's gonna, the problem's not going away. It's gonna be back worse than ever by all predictions. And uh, we, we need to take uh, big steps now. Let's talk for a moment about the, the current conditions. It is a little weird asking about the health of the lake and the threat of, you know, aridification in a time of drought and climate change when right now there's, there's a lot of snow on the ground and the snowpack is way above average. So give us some perspective about how people should sort of process that in light of the bigger picture. Bonnie Baxter? I think last December also was an above average uh, snow year. And then what happened in January and February meant that that didn't continue. And um, the lake was, you know, when we hit the historic low, the first historic low that we hit in um, the late fall of 2021, um, we came up one foot in the spring, but then we lost two and a half feet during the summer. So one step forward, two and a half steps back. Um, So what happens in December doesn't really tell us what's going to happen the rest of the year. This snowfall has to continue. Um, If we have a milder summer in terms of temperatures, we get less evaporation. Um, Those things are not likely to happen. When people see lots of snow, when they're you know shoveling their driveways and you know going skiing and lots of powder, uh, Dan McCool, to you, do you worry at all that that they'll take their eye off the ball? Yes, uh, politicians tend to operate in the short term. It's important to keep in mind that this weather event is due to another climate change induced extreme weather event, an atmospheric river that's wreaking havoc in many parts of the country. There's tremendous, unprecedented flooding 
and California and other places. So we, we can't depend on the occasional ultra rare extreme weather event uh, to bail us out of what's essentially a human made uh, problem. So what are you both expecting this year now, um, 2023? And, and by that, I mean two things in particular. What are you expecting in terms of the environmental situation? It's hard to predict that, I suppose. But what are you expecting in that sense? But also in the larger reaction to all of that from the public and from leaders – what are you expecting, first of all, Bonnie, you first, on the environmental situation? What, not that you would make a prediction here, but what are you expecting, I guess? I think we can make a prediction about the ecosystem uh, based on ecological models and studies on the lake for the last number of years. We, I, I think that we, we ask the question, what happens if the salinity goes any higher if you ask that to what we know about the ecosystem, um, we know that the biology is going to struggle. Um, I like to say we've done this experiment before when we built the railroad across the lake and mm-hmm. built in that causeway. Um, we took Great Salt Lake and and isolated it from water input and made it hypersaline. And the brine flies disappeared and the brine shrimp disappeared. And we don't have, you know, millions of birds that go to that part of the lake. So we've actually already asked the question, what happens if if the lake gets too salty? And we know the answer. So um, I, I think uh, it, it's not far-fetched at all to predict uh, we got up to 19% or higher last um, summer. And that's absurd yeah. for this ecosystem. And uh, so it it's very likely that we will exceed 20%, um, which will decimate the invertebrates that feed the birds. So I I think this summer could be a really um, serious situation at the lake. And that means that that's going to impact the brine shrimp industry. So it's it's not just about, you know, do you care if this is a hemispherically important you know, location for birds to feed. Um, it also is part of our industry. Do you care if if the ski industry um, stops getting snow, um, a certain percentage of its snow? Um, I, I think the human health equation also lights people up. We saw amazing dust storms out of the lake last summer. Uh, and the more shoreline that's exposed, the more we're going to see that. So I, I think we're sitting right on top of this just getting worse and worse. And I, I, I don't see it going any other way unless we can change um, some of this diverted water and get more water to the lake. Dan, what are you expecting? Hopefully we'll make a shift from throwing money at the lake and start throwing water at the lake. The bills that passed here at a, both the state level and the federal level uh, allocated money for studies and and people thinking about it, which is great. We definitely need a lot more research, but research 
will show us how to solve the problem. It won't solve the problem for us. That takes water. And the discussion we need to have in this coming year is how do we create uh, an earmarked amount of water for the lake? Ba- basically, create a water right for the lake. That That's the first big challenge. And that, that's going to be a, a, a big challenge in the state legislature. And the second thing we have to do is finally admit that the Bear River Project is a bad idea. And it's gone from a silly idea to a disastrous idea. And the state legislature needs to realize that that should be deauthorized. It just make this problem so much worse and concentrate on getting more rather than less water into the lake. Bonnie, I don't know if you um, make any kind of uh, political assessments here, but are you? What are you hearing and seeing from from leaders in terms of moving into that action part? Do you sense that when it comes right down to it, dealing with the very dicey question of agriculture, are mm-hmm. lawmakers actually ready to make some difficult decisions, do you think? I was recently asked to speak at the Farm Bureau, and that, that was so enlightening because I got to spend my morning talking to farmers um, about water and listening to um, their intricate knowledge of the biology understanding uh, the system, understanding water in ways that maybe I don't. And I heard a a little bit of trepidation about the state, um, quote, taking water rights from farmers. But I heard more trepidation about um, the the federal government taking water. Um, and and I think that's it's a little scary when you have senior water rights and your whole livelihood is based around that mm-hmm. access to that water. Um, and I think I think one step in the right direction is working with the state um, to to either you know let some fields go afoul mm-hmm. <laughs> to. To, to fallow some fields in order to release some water to the lake and being part of the solution, um, I felt more like power behind that because what they're up against is a threat of um, a, a listing for the Endangered Species Act. If some of these birds in peril that depend on Great Salt Lake um, – you know they depend on they depend on water being in the lake that's that's how they're going to feed on these invertebrates and so if that happens then the federal government can intervene so i found that interplay really interesting about uh farmers and their connection to their water and the feeling like the water was being taken away from them um and i, I just could feel a shift like well we'd rather like be a little more in control of this and be part of the solution rather than having the government come in and, and take our water. So in, in the final moments here, uh, um, I was going to ask worst case scenario, best case scenario, but I think I know the answer to worst case scenario. Tell me the best case scenario for 2023. Dan McCool, you go first. 
The best case scenario is we purchase water from uh, willing sellers, usually meaning farmers. Mm-hmm. They could actually make them quite wealthy. Um, they can sometimes make more money off of leasing water to the lake than they could uh, growing hay. And we have a really bold uh, water conservation program in urban areas. And then we create uh, an earmarked water right, a goal that keeps the lake at an acceptable level. And then the legislature finally gets up the courage to deauthorize the Bear River Project. That's the best case uh, scenario for the lake, in, in my view. Bonnie? I think the state agencies like uh, Water Resources are currently modeling to come up with what is the number of the volume Mm. of water that we need to get to the lake. Mm. Um, And that number is critical. Um, 2021 numbers, we got 800,000 acre feet into the lake and that that wasn't nearly enough. So based on prior data, they're trying to, to model the number. And so I think there are two numbers that are critical. One is how many acre feet do we need to get into the lake to save the system? And the other is what is the acceptable elevation of water that we need uh, to keep the lake at? And that goes to what Dan's saying about what is the water right um, uh, of the lake. So I think I'm looking at how can science help us get those two numbers um, nailed down and then build laws and um, water right plans around those two numbers. Thank you both. Thank you, Doug. Appreciate it. Dan McCool and Bonnie Baxter. Dan is a professor emeritus of political science at the University of Utah. Bonnie is professor of biology at Westminster College and the director of the Great Salt Lake Institute. Today in the program, we're talking about what we could expect in 2023. When we get back from a break, what changed or is changing with the LDS Church? You're listening to Radio West. There's a lot happening here at KUER. Get a glimpse behind the scenes with Station Insider. Sent to your inbox every Friday, Station Insider includes KUER news stories from the past week and the latest national headlines. Plus, sneak peeks at upcoming station happenings, new projects, and other must-know updates from NPR Utah. Sign up today at KUER.org newsletters. This is Radio West. I'm Doug Fabrizio. Last year, there were plenty always seems like this way, plenty of stories in the news about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And to give us a sense of what happened and what could happen in this new year, we turn to Jenna Reese. She's a writer and editor and journalist. She writes about Mormonism for the Religion News Service. I think we just lived through another Mormon moment. And, Hmm. you know, in 2002, we had one with the Salt Lake City Olympics bringing a lot of additional scrutiny to the LDS Church, much of it positive. We had one in 2012 with Mitt Romney running for president, and I Mm. think we just had another one in 2022. It's hard to kind of assess these things while you're living through them. But the additional media attention, certainly the 
influx of documentary series on streaming channels and the fictionalized portrayal in Under the Banner of Heaven, drawing a lot of attention to Mormonisms. Um, I think that is something to watch for the future. Streaming channels are not going to go away. Documentary filmmaking is exploding. And uh, people are very interested in religion as an entity to think about, not necessarily one that they would want to join or worship with, mm. but people are still interested in learning about religion. And and interested in the LDS church, I guess, right? Is that is that what you t- or like are they just generally this seems to have always been the case that you know people outside of the faith are kind of intrigued by by Mormons and I wonder if that's part of it or if in fact some critics of the church are seeing blood in the water and I mean anything to say about why you're seeing so much um in the in the media for example That's a great question. I do think I do think it's both things that uh, Added scrutiny will beget mm. more scrutiny in many cases, but also there is this perpetual fascination with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in particular, but also with the FLDS movement, other kinds of Mormonism, and we saw that certainly portrayed in the media this year. One thing I, I was very surprised by this year was that the story of Joseph Smith's possible daguerreotype was the number one news story for all of religion news service in 2022, which was, you know, really interesting. We're a very small religion by comparison to most of the things that RNS covers. So a lot of people outside the church and uh, other Mormon movements were obviously interested in that particular development. But what about it? Like there were lots of opinions about whether, in fact, it was Joseph Smith. But so did the fact that it was the most trafficked story on on religion new service did it say anything about the church beyond the fact that people are just sort of taken by the possibility that this may be you know the actual image of joseph smith that's a great question but i don't know the answer like i said i was really surprised by this i think if i had to speculate and emphasize that this is only speculation it would be that Joseph Smith remains a person of deep fascination. You know, he is kind of this quintessential American in many ways, also deeply controversial. People are interested in learning more about polygamy. What was that about? Um, And so the possibility of seeing what the man actually looked like in the flesh was, I think, pretty intriguing Mm -hmm. to a lot of folks. So you were mentioning one part of the... Uh, the the story of Latter Day Saints in the media that the fact that you had uh, you know fic- a fictionalized series and these documentaries there's Under the Banner of Heaven there's Keep Sweet there's Mormon No More among among others but then there were there was the the way the church came um, was profiled in certain news stories of course in in the summer the Associated Press releases the results of this investigative report about sex abuse cases, how they've been handled by the church, raising a, a, a lot of questions. Um, what do you make of that that particular story? There's also one about the church's finances we'll get to here in a second, but what do you want to say about that particular moment for the faith? Well, I think it's a harbinger that there will be many other investigative stories to come about sexual abuse and its aftermath, how it's handled, how often it happens. 
And if the church continues to adopt the same defensive posture that it adopted this summer, essentially throwing back on the investigative reporters who are, you know, some of whom are the same investigative reporters from the Spotlight series, right? These, these are not, these are not uh, hacks. Um, they know their job. They know what they're doing. To throw back on them that somehow the church is the victim of unwelcome persecution uh, sent completely the opposite message than what the church was, I think, trying to say, which was sympathy for the victims. So definitely there's going to need to be an internal reckoning. Um, and this lack of any admission of wrongdoing may be exactly what the church needs from a legal perspective. I'm not an attorney. But from the perspective of people who are looking at a religion to set a moral example, it was not enough. Yeah. Of course, uh, critics and also journalists in Canada and Australia um, were raising some pretty difficult questions about the church's finances and charitable donations. What do you make of that moment? Yeah, I think we will see more of that as well, um, partly because other nations may decide from that news coverage to say, oh, we should take a look at what's happening here at home with the Latter-day Saints who live within our boundaries and what is happening with their money. So it's possible that that will engender other news coverage. But but even uh, within the United States and within Canada and uh, the UK, Australia, some of these um, former Commonwealth countries that we're seeing these yeah. stories arise out of, uh, I anticipate that there will be greater scrutiny. Yeah. I'm not sure if you think in these terms, but if you look back on the uh, on these stories, good year for the church? Not so good? Neutral? Do you, I don't know, do you make an accounting like that? I guess if I had to, I would say that the negative stories are more likely to be remembered in the public right. mind than the positive stories because there were positive stories as well. And they seem to kind of have a Teflon-esque uh, sensibility about them. You know, the, it was a year when the church announced so many temples. 2023 mm. has the possibility of allowing the church to tell its own history encounter to something like Under the Banner of Heaven, because it's the 200th anniversary of the angel Moroni appearing to Joseph Smith. And in three years, we're going to have the bicentennial of the Book of Mormon, right? So all of these are opportunities for the church to get in there and tell its own story in a way that is more compelling to people than uh, perhaps its more hmm, canned approaches have been to history in the past. Huh. So you put – you mentioned the building of temples. You put as number three on your top ten LDS news stories for, for last year the fact that this temple building has significantly increased. And that despite, as you point out, the fact that membership growth has leveled off at less than 1 percent a year. And so I, I, I'm just wondering if you're seeing an action or word – a concession to what seems like certain realities, one of them being that the church isn't growing in the ways it used to, for example. So yeah. what, what do you think about that? Well, in the past, in order for an area to essentially qualify for a temple, there were certain benchmarks that had to be reached in terms of how yeah. many 
members there were, how many priesthood holders there were, how many tithe payers. I don't know all of the benchmarks that existed, but there were a lot. And more recently, the church seems to have adopted a new direction in temple building, essentially bringing the temples to the people, perhaps as a way to try to generate interest in the faith as a whole among people who might not otherwise have access to a temple, members and non-members alike. Um, From a pragmatic perspective, you have to ask when these temples are built, who is going to, what volunteers are going to staff them? You know, having a temple in an area is a tremendous honor for Latter-day Saints, but it is also a responsibility. It requires a lot on the part of the local members. And so I think the church will have to be flexible in possibly even hiring people who are members of the church to help staff those temples, because otherwise they will have extremely limited hours, um, and not have the intended purpose of essentially making themselves available to people. But the the larger question, though, is for me whether or not – again, are you seeing any concession to the reality that the church is not growing in the ways it used to? They may not be granting the fact that we need to shift because we're not we're not growing in ways that we thought we should or would be. That is a possibility. I do see some signs of shifting to new realities in the revision of the youth program that was announced in October and certainly in the revision of the For the Strength of Youth pamphlet, which is de-emphasizing a number of things that previous iterations of the pamphlet just held as gospel truth, including, you know, no tattoos, this particular Mm -hmm. hemline, no bare shoulders. All of that is gone. And for the church to abandon that in this new newest iteration of For the Strength of Youth is really fascinating to me. And I think it's a positive approach, essentially saying that we trust our youth and their parents to have good values and that may be different in one culture to another. I mean, revising the For the Strength of Youth pamphlet is a, a beautiful concession to the fact that we are trying to be a global religion and not just an American church that has some outposts, right? And that many of the cultural standards that were portrayed in the past as being gospel standards are actually American middle class white standards that we were trying to impose on other cultures. Yeah. Well, if you're looking for, I guess, evidence that the church may be changing in some way, maybe you would get it from the announcement um, last year, uh, although not so long ago. That the church supported the Respect for Marriage Act. Yes. When you think about where the church was in 2008 and the tremendous blowback that it received after its political involvement in Proposition 8, trying to defeat same-sex marriage in California, um, it's it looks like a 180-degree change. On the other hand, what the church has obtained in, you know, codified in law now with the Respect for Marriage Act is the exemptions, essentially, that that uh, religious organizations can have, that religious organizations do not have to perform same-sex marriages. So they have now obtained what they wanted and are essentially conceding that the culture has gone in a different direction in terms of approving same-sex marriage. 
And what we're seeing in in data within the United States again and again is that even the most conservative religious Americans are softening on homosexuality and same-sex marriage, which includes Latter-day Saints. Obviously, Latter-day Saints still have more conservative views about same-sex marriage and homosexuality than the general population. I don't expect that that's going to change. But every time a new survey comes out, we see this shift. So the church is changing. Is that fair to say? I think it's very fair to say. And, you know, I have to say kudos to President Nelson for much of this. When he became president, it's been five years now this month since he became president. And so it's kind of a good opportunity to look back. He has changed a lot. And I think very few people were expecting that. They look like pretty glacial, small, incremental changes. But when you aggregate them, they are pretty significant, particularly with women, women in the temple, women serving as Mm. um, witnesses to temple ordinances, uh, women serving on some of the highest committees in the church. These are things that women have been pushing for for a long time, particularly the changes in the temple ceremony itself. And some people said that would never happen. Well, you mentioned – I was going over a list of changes that you you noted in – 2021, um, you mentioned giving women a more active role in ritual life. You mentioned moving toward a more diverse international leadership, changing those bishops' interviews that had been so controversial. So so there are changes, um, clearly, I guess. There have been changes. I think that for, you know, I'm writing a book about people who leave the church, and for many of them, the changes are too small and too late you know, they don't encompass the the rep- rapidity of social change that I think many people would like to see implemented in more substantial ways in the church. But I don't think it's fair to say that the church has not changed or that it has not made any concessions at all, because it, to me, it clearly has. Hmm. What are you keeping an eye on now for 2023? What are you expecting for this new year for the church? I think that the church coming through the pandemic experienced what a lot of religions experienced, at least in this country, which was a very stark portrayal of how divided we are in this country and the limits of civility right now. And, you know, we've heard some church leaders talking about the importance of kindness, the importance of civility. I don't think any of it is getting through, honestly. I don't think, and I'm speaking for myself here as well, it's something that I struggle with. I get a lot of hate mail, Doug. I mean, I don't know if you do, but uh, I get a lot of hate mail, and it does take a little bit of a spiritual and psychological toll when you read through all that stuff. But there's so much anger right now. And so if the church is going to hold on to people who are people who have issues with the church, it needs to allow those people to express those issues openly. It needs to acknowledge that it's not always perfect, that it has made mistakes in the past. All of that is mm-hmm. very important. And the church has has utterly resisted apologizing for anything that happened in the past. Um, so those conversations that have not been happening need to happen. If we're serious about retaining people that are kind of having one foot in and one foot out the door. Jenna Reese, thank you very much. Thank you. Jenna Reese, she's a senior columnist for Religion News Service. Today in the program, we're reflecting back on 2022 and asking what we could expect for 2023. 
When we get back from a break, we'll discuss the always interesting landscape of politics in the state. You're listening to Radio West. KUER is available via radio through a network of transmitters and translators across Utah. We are also available to you beyond the dial. Stream us on your computer, put us in your pocket with the KUER mobile app, subscribe to our podcasts, and listen to us at home on your smart speaker. Use our station finder for your nearest signal and explore more ways to stay connected to NPR Utah at KUER.org slash listen. This is Radio West. I'm Doug Fabrizio. Finally today, let's talk about what the future holds for politics in the state. Robert Gerke of the Salt Lake Tribune joined us. And like others, we started with a look back on last year. I think 2022 was a transitional year. Hmm. Um, We're coming out of COVID. We're kind of enduring some economic uncertainty. There's this political uncertainty about, you know, who is going to be in charge going forward uh, that we're still seeing playing out today. And then questions about the future of, of, you know, our our economy, our culture, our politics, Hmm. our society, trying to just kind of get our legs back under us a little bit after a really uncertain time. And and not really knowing where that's going to go. And I think that's why, you know, 2022 was sort of a getting readjusted period. And I think 2023 is going to be – we'll have a better idea about the direction we're heading, I think, uh, 12 months from now. Yeah. So transition, did the state change in any way, if, do you think? I mean, I think the state did change. Um, I, I think that, you know, you can look at some of the – Political maneuvering that we saw in the past year with yeah. the new the new district boundaries, um, you, we we are talking about things like looking ahead to the All Star Game next year, kind of a big a big thing, mm. um, you know. But we're also seeing so the, this economic instability. I think the housing market is really in question right now, um, and and the sustainability of our housing prices. I think we're seeing some uh, adjustments at least in the in the tech sector that Utah had been. Leaning on pretty heavily or courting heavily, and and I think that's what you know when I when I say transition, all of those things are kind of coming to a head. I think and 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 you know coming out of twenty twenty two. Let's jump into politics, uh, and I wanted to begin with kind of a broad question. We'll, we'll get more specific here as we go. But where do you think the state is right now politically? I mean, there's some evidence to believe that there are some Republicans who are losing patience with Donald Trump and some of the drama in the certainly the right wing of the party. Mm-hmm. Where do you think Utahns are? Yeah, I mean I think I think you kind of have to look at it two ways because Utah is such a Republican dominated state. Yeah. You kind of have to ask view that question through the lens of where is the Republican party now. Right. <laughs> and I think you see with the, you know last year we saw the Mitt Romney Mike Lee dichotomy play out in pretty stark terms uh you know with with Mike Lee running to the right, being mm-hmm. a Trump supporter, Mitt Romney, you know, condemning Trump, voting to impeach him again at the start of of of, of 
2021. Um, and being really outspoken. And being really outspoken about the damage he's doing to the brand of the Republican Party and, and to the, you know the, its continua- continuation as a serious political entity. And so that stark reality, I think, is playing out not just nationally, but here locally, you know. Mm-hmm. And and so, again, when I say transitionary, that's what I mean. It, mm-hmm. It's it's where is this party mm-hmm. going? This We're kind of seeing yeah. this churning. Um, and, and so that's that's the biggest question. Is the Republican Party going to continue to be the dominant force in Utah politics? Mm-hmm. And what is that party even going to look like? Yeah. That's one way to look at it. The other part of it is, you know, on, a, on the larger scheme of things, um, where do the Democrats go after we saw the, the, them throw their support behind Evan McMullen, right. who ran a good race against Mike Lee but didn't pull it out? Um, what does their future look like? Uh, and, and what about those people who – crossed over from both the Republican and Democratic Party to in, be independent. I mean, you, t- you talk about 42, 43 percent of the state who voted for an independent candidate. Yeah. Is there a pathway there going forward with those people who maybe don't feel like either party is necessarily representing them or would like to see something a little bit more in the middle? And I, and I think that's the, that's the biggest um, storyline from 2022 and maybe unfinished storyline going into 2023. Well, here's how you put it in a recent column. You wrote that how Mitt Romney responds to, you know, being perceived as disloyal to the MAGA wing of the party. You said that that could potentially be the most interesting uh, uh, story of the year politically. And this is the thing that caught my eye. You, You said you think Mitt Romney will opt out of the Republican primary. Yeah. And run as an independent. That's an extraordinary claim. Yeah. What, what makes you say that? Well, I mean, I was trying to. I was trying to stick my neck out a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I feel like when I've done these predictions in the past, I've been a little safe. So I kind of wanted to, you know, stick my neck out a little bit further, do something a little bit more. You know, well, if if it does come to be, I, I look like a genius, right? <laughs> um, but I, but the, the problem that Romney has is there's blood in the water and there's Republicans circling who yeah. think that they all can take him out in a Republican primary. Yeah. Now, if it was just convention like we've had in the past years, you know, it, it, he wouldn't have a chance. Right. He would get decimated at a convention. In a primary, I think he ha- still has mainstream Republican support. But I think what we saw with the Evan McMullen run is that there is a third path and and. And Romney wouldn't have some of the difficulty. He wouldn't have to court Democrats and try to walk the line, mm-hmm. right? He could do it like Lisa Murkowski did in Alaska and just say, I'm I'm a, a independent. I'm running as an independent. I'm not affiliating with the party, but I am going to caucus with the Republicans. I've always been a Republican. You know me, but, you know, <sighs> this is the way I'm going to do it. And I think, there's a, I think there's a pathway for him to do that. And, you know, we won't know for sure, I don't think, until – at the end of 2023, whether that's the path he's going. Sure. But we're going to start seeing the people lining up against him. And the names that have been thrown out are all credible uh, potential opponents. I mean, you know, Sean Reyes, mm-hmm. Attorney General Sean Reyes, uh, you know, there's been talk about Representative Jason Chaffetz. He's, you know, he's been coy when he's been asked about it. House Speaker Brad Wilson, everybody's kind of wondering what he's going to do yeah. next. Chris Stewart. Chris Stewart is a name that he, he uh, you know, the, the word on the street is that he wanted the seat before um, and, and was kind of told to wait 
made his turn. And so, you know, is he going to step up and take a shot at, at a vulnerable Mitt Romney? Because the, when, when we, whenever we have these Republican contests, whenever there's a Republican who's vulnerable, um, all of these people have kind of been biding their time and waiting. Yeah. And so they, they, if they don't jump now, what's the next opportunity? So, you know, I, th- I, I think, you know, there is a potential that Mitt just opts out and doesn't run. I yeah. don't think he's going to walk away from it right now because, again, like we said earlier, this is sort of a battle for the future of, of this party that he's been part of for his entire life. All right. Let me quote you. Uh, you wrote that the 2023 Utah legislative session will be one of the most unhinged <laughs> in years. Yeah. What, what are you saying that makes you say that? Well, I'm, what I'm saying is that we're seeing these trends in our politics generally, and we're seeing these issues that keep coming up, transgender issues, critical race theory issues, you know, parental control, school vouchers, uh, anti-federal government stuff, election conspiracy stuff, all of this that was brewing in 2022 and even 2021 mm-hmm. is still here in 2023. And the difference right now is that there's a larger Republican majority because Democrats lost a few seats in the House. Um, and and the people who have replaced some of the Republicans, people like Trevor League, who replaced Steve Handy up in, up in Davis County, um, are a lot more conservative. And just, you know, I was looking at the bills that have been pre-filed for the upcoming session today. The, the, the most conservative, the most right-wing members of the legislature are sponsoring dozens and dozens of bills. You like know, message I, bills? Well, they've requested bill files. We don't know exactly what they are yet, but, you know, it's dozens and dozens of bills. Some of them are message bills. Some of them are, you know, where they're, they're targeting abortion. They're, Dan McKay wants to sponsor a constitutional amendment mm-hmm. to make clear mm-hmm. that abortion is not mm-hmm. protected in the state and the Constitution in any way, shape, or form, which goes directly to this lawsuit. Brady Brammer has a bill that would lift the, that would effectively lift the injunction that's blocked the abortion trigger law from taking effect. So there's bills like that. There's bills to prohibit any uh, hormone or, or, or surgical treatments for transgender youth. Um, and so, you know, again, these are kind of message bills. And and the challenge has always been for leadership and the sort of the more reasonable people that kind of keep this in check. Uh, at some point, I'm not sure that they're going to be able to hold back the floodgates. And so um, and they've also put some very conservative people in positions of power. And so I, I think there it, it, it shapes up the other the other factor, I think, is is that in an election year, you people are kind of a little bit more reserved because they always have that threat of a potential election defeat hanging over their head. Even mm-hmm. in Utah, where most of the seats have been gerrymandered to the point where they're non-competitive, there are, you know, there, there is that threat of a potential accountability at the, election, at, the, at the ballot box. This year, they're just fresh out of the election. They don't have to worry as much about that. And so the, the, uh, the year after the elections oftentimes are the time where we see all these message bills coming up. So if you're an advocate for saving Great Salt Lake and you yeah. need lawmakers to do something really bold politically, yeah. what does that mean if you've got an, as you say, possibly unhinged? Well, I think what right the Great Salt Lake's yeah, I think what the Great Salt Lake's going got going for right now is it's it's sort of a threat to the continual uh, growth of this of this entire valley, and it's got a strong advocate for it in in House Speaker Brad Wilson, um, and so I think that I think that there will be some action on the lake. I want to come back to what you were talking about earlier about the economy. Um, you think it's going to cool this this crazy housing market is going to contribute to that. Um, the other thing, of course, you mentioned and you wrote about is that the that like tech companies, you know, throughout the country, Utah's tech industry is 
probably going to struggle this year. So you say the economy will cool. Could it be worse than that? What do you think? I think it has the potential to be worse than that. Huh. I don't know that it necessarily will be. I think I think there's some adjustment that's going to have to take hmm. place um, because the the inflationary rate that we're at can't continue, and so you know we've already seen interest rates jacked up, which has slowed our housing market. You know, the new home sales or, or home sales are way off. Houses yeah. are staying on the market a lot longer. Prices are coming down. All of which is partly the goal of what they're trying to do. But that also, you know, a lot of these tech companies in particular were relying on capital coming in and capital's tightened up as well. And so, the, you know, if they were companies that had, were startups, maybe not recognizing the profits they were hoping for and relying on, on infusions of cash from, you know, from venture capital firms or the like to keep them going, that's gone away and I think they're they're struggling and we're already seeing layoffs. I think, you know, I think the governor said last month that there's going to be more layoffs in the coming year. Um, and, and, you know, I saw Silicon Slopes was going to have a forum on, you know, what this means I, it, the tech the tech industry we know the bu- it, it's a bubble and it's a burst mm-hmm. and, and I don't know that it's going to be a burst but I think up and down the state you know there's there are there are companies that are struggling and and I can't imagine that given the 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 increasing home prices that we've seen in this city in this state that that's going to bode well for the year ahead one of the most interesting political stories of the year, I, it seems like, could be the Salt Lake City mayor's race. Yeah, former uh, Mayor Rocky Anderson is throwing his hat in the ring. He has a chance. You don't count Rocky out. He's no. been there a couple times. Yeah, um, you know, and and he's got some powerful backing. He's got some well. He's going to be well funded because he's got the, you know, the groups that are upset with Mayor Mendenhall's homeless policies. And you saw him come out swinging. I mean, Rocky is, I mean, Rocky is a fighter. And so um, you saw him come out real hard against the mayor, sort of a scorched earth kind of a, a campaign announcement. And I think you're going to continue to see more of that, um, trying to paint the city in, in a negative light uh, because because of the mayor's, Mayor Mendenhall's policies. I don't I people I talk to and I don't have polling on this but people I talk to are not necessarily upset with the mayor there are things they would like to see different but there's always that's always going to be the case um and so I think at the end of the day the mayor pulls this out but I think it's going to be a hard fought race and I think it's going to get pretty nasty um and and you know it'll it'll be an expensive race yeah, uh, brutal is the word you used brutal, in your column yeah. and you said it would probably center on among other things homelessness that's homelessness seems to be the yeah, yeah. I mean, homelessness is the issue that I think is at the forefront of a lot of people's yeah. minds, and 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 you know, including you know, state leaders. But uh, you know, you hear. You, I talk to business people that you know downtown. They they have complaints about it. They don't think the mayor is doing enough. And you know, the the question then becomes, what more do you do? And there's you know, ideas of tent cities and things like that. Um, but yeah, homelessness has been a front and center issue for a few years, and I think maybe has become been put a little bit more center stage or in the limelight because of the state's efforts and because as you know as we come out of covid it's it's more apparent I think to people um that there are people out there who are struggling. I'm hopeful frankly that this year in the legislative session that there will be a serious commitment to um housing 
housing and and then sort of treatment options and support for for people once they get into housing to kind of make sure that they stay on that path because you know I, I've said this over and over the solution to homelessness is a home and and so I think you've got to I think you've got to focus on that first and and I'm hopeful that this year that, that there's going to be a serious focus on that. You think there might be some movement in um, Utah liquor laws. You want to say something about that? Yeah, I mean, there's always incremental movement in yeah. Utah liquor laws, and there have been a lot of complaints from you know this backlog of people waiting for bar licenses for up to a year, and the difficulty that that creates. Whereas, where if you want to open a bar, you've got to invest all of this money up front and be ready to go when you get it. So there, I think there might be some there might be some changes in increasing the caps on the number of bar licenses. The other thing that is coming is the NBA All Star Game, and I think there, you know, if you were around for the twenty or two thousand two Olympics, um, you saw some. Serious Changes. loosening of yeah. the laws there. We've got to be, you know, we're going to be more accommodating to the tourists who are going to be coming in for that. And whether how much of that sticks around beyond the All Star Game, yeah. I'm not sure about. But there, there will be some changes there. Um, you know, and and I, I, I've been hearing for years and years that there's there's always this sort of low level chatter about a ballot initiative to try to get wine into grocery stores. I don't know that this is the the 2024 is going to be the year, but I, I suspect 2023. You mean? Well, they, they would put it on the 2024 oh, ballot. They'd okay. have to get the wheels moving in 2023. Gotcha. So, I but but I suspect there will be more discussions along those lines. Here's the final question: Why should anyone believe you? You got the Rose Bowl prediction wrong. I know my first my first big prediction of 2023 is <laughs> already gone bust. Um, you know, I, I, I don't think anybody should believe me. <laughs> I, you know, I, I have a magic eight ball and I have, you know, I have some tarot cards, but that's all I've got to go on. Um, yeah, I, I, I whiffed on that one, didn't I? I think we all did. Yeah. A lot of us did anyway. Robert Gerke, thanks. Thanks, Doug. Robert Gerke, he's a columnist for the Salt Lake Tribune. Radio West is a production of KUER. You can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. As always, we'd love to hear from you. We're on Twitter at Radio West. The program is produced by Tim Slover and Benjamin Bombard. Our executive producer is Carrie Watson. I'm Doug Fabrizio.